Hey folks, James here. Just wanted to quickly jump in and say that I've had to make an executive decision about the uh, little intro of this episode. The audio that we initially had recorded was not fantastic, um, so I've decided to cut that. Just going to quickly jump in and say, um, as always, if you do want to have your thoughts and feeling read on the show, please reach out to us on twoheartspodcast at gmail.com. That's two, the word two. Or you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and the like at twoheartspod, the number two. Uh, rate and subscribe on iTunes. Um, and yeah, enjoy Planet of the Ood. Sorry about this abrupt intro. We should, without further ado, let's have a chat about Planet of that ooh-ah-ah sensation. <laughs> Just couldn't help yourself, could you? Nope. <laughs> Episode 3 of Season 4, Planet of the Ood, directed by one of our favourites, Graham Harper, and written by newcomer Keith Temple. Uh, I say newcomer as if he's going to go on to write other things. Never hear from him again, I'm afraid. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> he's gone. Um, the plot this week, the Doctor and Donna arrive on a randomly selected planet, which turns out to be the base of operations for the Human Empire's Ood production. The Ood, last seen in the Satan Pit, two-parter, have become the backbone of the great bountiful Human Empire, being used as a docile workforce. But aught is amiss in the factory. The red eye infection is spreading and causing the Ood to turn feral, attacking and killing plant workers and capitalists alike. Posing as investors, the time-travelling duo infiltrate the facility and discover that the Ood are not in fact born naturally docile, but rather are born with their second brain in their hands, which is being violently removed and replaced with the translator balls that they use to convey basic thought. An uprising amongst the Ood commences as the Red Eyes and the Uninfected alike break their chains and cause a riot at the factory, resulting in several supporting cast member deaths, and the even more shocking revelation that there is a much larger hive mind connecting the Ood, but it has been suppressed by humans for centuries, resulting in the Ood's weakened state. The Doctor and Donna, with a friendly Ood in tow, uh, called Ood Sigma, confront the CEO who murders his lead scientist for attempting to aid the Ood before being horrifically transformed into an Ood himself through specious reasoning. <laughs> Which doesn't, I think, mean what you think it means, James. With It's a Simpsons reference, <laughs> just go with it. <laughs> transformed into an Ood himself through specious reasoning. With the hive brain free at last, the Ood are also free to live as they choose and they serenade Donna and the Doctor as they leave, both with a, a renewed sense of purpose to help those in need. That's a quite nice way of actually putting the ending of that story, um, James. Thank you. I thought you'd appreciate that. I do, I do. And I also do appreciate uh, just how much you really like this episode because uh, obviously we talked about Fires Pompeii last week and we both were very high on that one. Um, But we are, yeah, it's very rare for us to get a run of like two episodes where we're both like, this is really good. (laughs) <laughs> it's true. I mean, if you listen to us uh, talk about Pfizer Pompeii last week, like we ended with me being like, oh, I'm as high, maybe higher on Planet of the Ood. And 
look, I will admit in revisiting it before we did this episode, um, it, it didn't fall in my rankings as such. Like it's much more complicated than just like, oh, I liked it less because I still enjoyed it as much as I did the first time. Um, I just think that if I am applying the same critical lens that I do to a bunch of other episodes, um, throughout, you know, the, the, the show that we, that we are looking at here, uh, there is definitely a couple of, of, you know, wobbly elements here and there that we're going to talk about. But on the whole, I just think Planet of the Ood is such a, like, a bold and fun, but also, like, perfectly dark kind of Doctor Who story. Um, and I I enjoy it despite it, its flaws. And sometimes even, like, because of them. Because those flaws are a result of how, I don't know, just, like, weirdly ambitious it is. Um, how do you feel about it? Mm. I agree with what you're saying, especially uh, because I think that, like, with a lot, a lot, or at least up to this point with Doctor Who, when we have noticed flaws, they are often, like, wildly obvious and also do diminish our enjoyment of the episode, uh, because, for for many reasons, um, with this episode, I, I feel the same way as you, those, those flaws that I perceived or those weaknesses that I definitely identified with this episode didn't diminish what a good time I was having with it um but if I don't think it bears to like to even uh compare fires and planet of the Ood, they are just operating on so many different levels superficially um but I do think this is the weaker of the episodes and also the weaker of the episodes if you're thinking about the continuation of uh Doctor and Donna's story. Um, obviously, we'll go into much further detail about that as we get into the episode. But on the whole, I really did quite enjoy it this week, and I and it's something that you brought up, and that I now I see much more clearly with this episode than I think I did last week, which is that this season has been very classic heavy, and it's like throwbacks and references and I like I said I didn't really see it that much with Fires of Pompeii but with this episode I think the thing that like made me really think about it as a classic who kind of setup is the fact that like this is the first time we've been to a proper uh alien planet and like obviously we've been to different alien planets in Russell's era so far but like they were craters or like like just quarries or uh like <laughs> new earth which is like basically just earth but on a different planet um this is an actual alien planet it's snowy there's those beautiful uh, cgi vistas of the swirling ice and the stuff going on there mm. um and that feels very classic who because classic who spent a lot of time off world um the same with the ood and the like the capitalist machine set up there uh, it's, it, it, it feels, yeah, it feels very, 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 uh, like not quite based under siege, but in that same vein, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I, I, I see what you're putting down. And I mean, like it, <clears throat> it, it, it needs to be said up front. Planet of the Ood has like has the subtlety of a freight train. Like this uh-huh. is, this is a big loud episode and it's very mm. loud about what it's saying. Um, that doesn't mean it's saying it badly, but it just means that it is 
you know, it's all on front street, right? Um, I appreciate that about it. And something that you just brought up that I didn't even realize until you said it, but the contrast of Doctor and Donna arrive, get out of the TARDIS. There's a, a great little character moment between them and they're appreciating like the, the beauty of this like very snowy vista that's got these kind of like almost um, like underwater coral looking archways, but they're, you know, obviously above water. It's, it's covered in snow. It's all very like lovely and quite nice. And then when the plot actually kicks in, they end up at this generic metal human factory that's just been slapped into this beautiful planet. And so like from the very beginning of the episode, you get this very heavy handed, like um, colonist invader, you know, obviously enslaving a, a native uh, sort of race. Um, all of that's just there on front street. And I appreciate that like classic who um, planet of the Ood doesn't concern itself with being um, self-conscious about this. It is just like, no, no, we are telling you a very clear-cut parable it, with a sci-fi uh, element to it. Like, here we go. Um, and I, I don't know, I just fuck with that. Yeah, there really isn't any mistaking the message or the, the moral of this episode, which is that slavery is is bad. Um, I don't... I think you... You are high on that. I love that. I think that that like goes without saying and so it is just a bit oh i mean sure but like by that token most popular sci-fi media is is trite and saying something that goes without saying like the empire is bad in star wars like yeah fascism sucks we 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 fucking know um do you know what i mean true a true and it is a 45 minute episode it's not exactly it's it's for all lack of uh for lack of a better word it's a filler episode because it's between two uh like the opening and the like a, a standout historical episode and a two-parter so like it doesn't really have mm. to do much to keep you engaged do you know what i mean uh i do <clears throat> i do and it's also this is the um uh, I think we're going to actually be doing this a fair bit. I, I enjoy the, the lens that this provides on things, but this fills the spot of, um, was it End of the World for Rose and the Doctor, right? Uh, in terms of, like, the first uh, sort of future episode for a companion, yes. Yeah, and with Martha, it was... It was um, uh, Gridlock. Oh, it was Gridlock, oof. <laughs> oh boy. Um, okay. Yeah. So I, I think, especially if you look at it in those terms, you know, you use that third episode as like, Hey, now the, now the companion's going to go to the future. We're in theory going to learn a little bit more about their dynamic and whatnot. I think a odd byproduct of the fact that Pfizer Pompeii does such a phenomenal job of setting up the, the dynamic that the two of them are going to have. We enter into Planet of the Ood in that third episode slot, where it's just kind of like, the stakes surrounding the Doctor and Donna themselves are quite low this week. They both have standout emotional moments, but there's not really anything new learned through those moments. I don't think that detracts from them, but it no. is certainly an element of the writing in this episode. Um, instead, <clears throat> you know, with End of the World, it was very much about Rose, you know, sort of seeing the end of the world. Um, and then with uh, Gridlock, it was very much about the Doctor, the growing god complex, um, and I guess New Earth as a setting, right? And then this episode is about the aliens themselves this time. Like, this is very much an episode about the Ood. They are the driving force of the plot. They have the most agency in what happens. I think a criticism that you have, which I... I kind of go back and forth on is that, you know, the doctor and Donna didn't need to be here for this. Like th this would have happened regardless. Um, and I find that just to be an interesting contrast. Um, how do you feel about that? 
Yeah, well, um, it's something I've said before to you. It's something that I've seen as a common criticism of this uh, episode. Um, the other sort of example, the, the, what people usually compare it with is, I think, is like um, this sixth Doctor story called The Re- Revelation of the Daleks, which is like has a lot of eerie parallels with this story. It's like set on a snowy planet and there's experimentation with like the native people um, there's even, like, specific scenes that, like, could deliberately mirror this one. But the main thing that people always draw comparisons with is, like, in that story, like, the Doctor and his companion, Perry, at that time, uh, like, literally just spend, like, the whole first episode, like, just walking to the plot and then spend the second episode just observing things. And they don't have any actual, uh, they don't do any, <laughs> they don't do anything. <laughs> for lack of a better word. And that's what's happening here as well in the sense that the Doctor and Donna, they walk and they investigate and they uh, observe what's happening. But it isn't until the very, very, very end when the Doctor throws a switch and turns this the fence that's surrounding the dude's master brain off that they actually have anything to do with the plot. And that didn't even need to... He didn't even need to do that because it would have happened anyway if with the scientist guy if uh, he hadn't intervened. Um, But then at the same time, I don't know. I have gone back on that and I think, I don't even know if it's necessarily a criticism or it doesn't diminish my enjoyment of this episode like we noted at the top. Um, If anything, it's like a a fun contrast to last week where the whole dilemma was like, should we even intervene or not in like, in our travels in Who? Yep. Um, and then you have an episode which <clears throat> kind of does that in practice uh, and answers that question without intending to do so, obviously. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. And like, yeah, like, I guess paired with what I just said about the <clears throat> the insights of the Doctor and Donna themselves, like they, these two episodes do make for interesting bedfellows uh, when you put them like right next to each other the way that this does. <laughs> yeah, they are definitely interesting bedfellows. Uh, and that's like part of the course, I think, with Companion First episodes and first travels in the TARDIS is like, especially, excuse me, in the Russell T era where he uses the past and the future as like on the surface, like ways to be like, this is the past. Oh, it's so bad. This is the future. Wow. We've got a long way to go kind of stuff. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, but with, you know, this is the third companion. We are four seasons in. Sometimes that shtick doesn't can't go as far as it used to and so i think one of the one of the really 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 good things about like fires of pompeii in this episode is that they don't like you said they don't really focus on that and they don't need to because don is already a very well established character by this point um yeah and so they can afford to focus on something different and i think that's one of the that's one of the strengths definitely of this episode is that it has however much it hammers the point home and like smacks you over the head with it it does have a point to say uh and it and it ably says it uh when it comes to the ood what are your sort of thoughts and feelings about the ood because they were yeah i guess because like in in the satan pit two-parter like rose kind of probed at the corners of this but like that that two-parter was so concerned with its own massive plot that like there was just no room for like the moral questions of the ood right um and i like that we do kind of kick this one off with a very explicit you know conversation with the doctor where he's like hey yeah like the last time i saw these guys i was too distracted to figure this out um and so it feels like a nice little meta way of being like all right now we're gonna do the ood thing um 
and I'm so glad that they do because I, I find the Ood to be like, for one, they are like stunningly well designed. I, I think they look incredible in terms of practical effect. I think it's, it's such a great little Cthulhu-esque, but it's also combined with the like, earnestness and defenselessness of a puppy somehow hmm. um they are a, such a striking thing to look at and I, they make me both like once i get past the initial discomfort of the little like you know thing on the front of their face um you do end up just like deeply sympathizing with them um and so i was really grateful to see them get a full episode dedicated to them i i stand by the fact that like pfizer pompeii um this could have used a, a little bit more of a runtime maybe not a full two-parter but just a little bit more to, to really get into the ins and outs of the ood because again those wobbly bits are going to come up here um but the core concept of just bringing them back and telling essentially uh an origin story for them at the same time as you tell the story of their liberation um i think is just uh, fun <laughs> like i think it's good mm. i think someone described them to me as like a cross between cthulhu and dr zoidberg um <laughs> yeah yeah i can see which that. i definitely stand by and you're you made a really cool point before when you were describing the ice planet as like un underwater kind of uh formations mm. and like i think there was there's definitely a theory that like the ood developed like developed like their planet was once completely submerged in water and they evolved to walk on land or something like that um right and yeah, so like yeah. i like that there is a lot of um even if it's not in the episode, that there is a lot of thought and detail given to that particular aspect uh, of their planet. Isn't there a um a line at the beginning of the episode about one of the neighbouring planets and it's a race that's from Classic Who, like a water-based race? Yes, um, they're not <laughs> they're not water-based specifically, but they have like a weird kind of like cuttlefish-y head, uh, okay. and they're very similar. With that, like, bulbous head thing to the Ood. They're called, um... I think they're called the Sensorites. And yes, that is a, a first... Okay. It's, like, from the very, very first season of Doctor Who. This That story yeah. took place. I love that kind of reference, because it's used to both, like, be like, hey, this is cute nod to classic Who, and it's also building up the mythos of these new aliens that they're trying to impress you with. Like, that's... Um, we, we're, we'll talk about, like, uh, Temple's kind of overall script, but it is... It's full of those little, like, huh... That was really smart moments. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, and... Yeah, I guess, like, where do you land on the Ood themselves? <sighs> the Ood... Mm, I like them. If we're going to talk just design, I like them. And I think that, you know, obviously Russell tried to put his stamp on the show with the Slovene. Didn't quite take off for many reasons. Um, and But then... <laughs> definitely struck gold with the Ood and they became, I think it's fair to say like they are his um, clearest uh, sort of addition to the Who canon of monsters uh, from his era alongside, like I, I can't even give that to the, like the Weeping Angels because A, that's a Moffat episode and, and they never really engaged with them again until Moffat took over the show. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, like the Ood were his signature i'd say and they're such a simple design and they've had such an enduring like legacy and keep coming back in like cameo roles and uh things and it was an ode that was in the doctor's wife for instance like a moffat episode um as a way to mm. sort of link the two eras of the show together so like they 
from purely from a design, from an aesthetic point of view, I, I really adore them. I have reservations about the way in which they are depicted in this episode. And we've talked at length about this. Outside the show, of course, we have. Um, we've talked at length about this. Um, <laughs> but I guess my main kind of headline gripe about the the Ood is that we just don't learn enough about them. And I think that that is slightly problematic when you are doing an episode which is about their liberation, which is about their their freedom, that they don't have a voice to sort of voice how they're being oppressed kind of thing. And the ways in which... Like, it, it, it is obvious to anyone watching this episode that they are being oppressed, that they are being, like... That they are enslaved. Um, but they, 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 they never verbalised that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I felt like I had a, a really good way of saying that earlier and then I lost that thread. But do you <laughs> do you see what I'm, like, I'm laying down here? Uh, no, I, I do. I pick up what you're putting down. Um, I'm definitely in two minds about it because I... Okay, so from like a baseline point of view, I think you're correct. Um, I think that uh, there should have been time made in this episode for a bit more of an exploration of the interiority of the Ood as opposed to the... What is essentially... Um, I, I, well, I hesitate to say like the aesthetics of slavery, uh, but it is also, it, it's Doctor Who, it deals in shorthand a lot. Like this is what the show is. Um, and so I, I kind of forgive it for those elements. Um, but I'm thinking like, you know, you've got that scene where uh, one of the security guards is trying to like snatch at the doctor with the claw arm. And it's like an action sequence because it feels like it needs an action sequence in that moment. But if imagine if you took that out and instead had like Donna gets thrown in, in this like uh, shipping container that's full of ood right what if she gets thrown in there um and inside she finds that they're like scrolling on the walls doing their own art or something or like that they are talking to each other when nobody else is around like if there is time dedicated to somebody learning hey they have their own like culture developing and whatnot and so i i would like to have seen that but at the same time i think the script does explicitly justify the choices that it makes here because the story is about the fact that the third brain which is responsible for like the sort of advanced development of the ood beyond just like that sort of docile uh frightened state is being actively suppressed by humanity and it has been for two centuries now and so there is no room for them to have developed interiority like it is actively being shut down by humanity and so i get why it's not in there even if i think it would have made for a better story for it to have found a way in there if that makes sense i do i do and i think you're you're good to have uh pointed that out because it it definitely does answer the that main question that i have about this episode and i guess that main flaw i just would have i would i think that it's necessary i think that it needed to actually be there i need mm-hmm. the ood needed to have a voice you bring an interesting point up uh before when you describe that scene where donna gets thrown into the the container with them um and an alternative version where they might have been communicating or scrolling or whatever you however you put it yeah um and it reminds me of the fact that this episode simultaneously wants the ood to be sympathetic and a threat at the same time uh, and I think that that's a hard line to, to um, kind of to go. I mean, I'm talking about the marketing specifically where like the poster for this episode yes. is, a, is a massive ood with red eyes being like, I'm going to kill you. And it's like, oh, well, <laughs> I, it's, it's obviously playing on our expectations and then subverting them. And like, 
it's it's I I I don't ultimately think it wants you to think that they're monsters by the end of the episode, um, but it is flipping between those two things for quite a while. Like we said at the top, like when we were talking about the design of the Ood, like the iconic kind of scary kind of cute design is iconic for a reason, and so I understand why they are deployed in the marketing the way that they are. I think that you know if you wanted to be hyper generous um uh maybe like there is a degree of like knowingly like sort of like reds under the bed kind of like mm. you know propaganda kind of posters and whatnot mm. the idea that you know oh you see the big scary alien on the poster because you're meant to think the alien is big and scary when in fact all we've ever seen of the ood in canon is that they are docile creatures who are subject to being subjugated basically um and so when this episode rolls around i think that the story itself does a really good job of framing even the ood's that have got the red eye disease and are as such going quite um, like, you know, feral is a very loaded word, but they are like alien creatures. Like when they're going all like, oh, you know, attacking humans and whatnot. I think there's a, a moment where, you know, one of them attacks uh, a human, runs off and is running away from the security guards and then runs into a corner and starts cowering. Like even at their most, you know, quote unquote scary, there is still an element of them that they are essentially just you know afraid um mm. and i think the story does a really good job of showing you that from the get-go and also like the very first scene establishes that like no no the true evil in this story is humanity um, and it is capitalism i think if you're going to attempt an episode about slavery you should give the enslaved a voice and you should not have like i think my main gripe uh, essentially boils down to the fact that like the Ood operations obviously have taken charge of the Ood and have enslaved them. Uh, and then there are the photo activists who are trying to free the Ood. And then there's the Doctor and Donna talking about the well-being of the Ood. But what do the Ood think about anything that's going on here? We don't know. And in some ways, yes, you're right. The behind the big master brain being corralled and, and kept under force means that the ways in which the Ood have... Uh, been able to communicate up to this point is just through like the red eye and the like the frustrations and the, like like the quasi mythical like oh the everything being circle must be broken. yeah all that kind of stuff um yeah but it, it it ends up with it ends up with the ood like i say being voiceless and like never quite expressing their uh, their feelings about what's actually happening to them. It ends with like the Doctor and Donna being quite like colonial in the way they try and approach them with the like Doctor Donna friend, like a uh, truncated version of English kind of thing. Um, it, at the same time, it's it's playing with colonial kind of themes, even though it's not a, you know, even the, it is a colonial episode, but it's also not at the same time. And I guess maybe mm. some of my conf like. Uh, difficulty in getting out all these different thoughts and and feelings it speaks to the confused kind of nature of this episode and just the fact that a bit more time would have allowed all of these things to flesh out and to sit quite neatly in this episode yeah uh, i i agree and that is the kind of the unfortunate rea reality of when a a tv show like doctor who which is you know quote-unquote family friendly and dealing with the the bbc sort of writing guidelines and you know, the, the entire rigmarole of making, you know, family-friendly media is trying to tackle an, an issue as seriously as slavery. Um, 
in a non-historical context because when you're using uh metaphors and, and symbolism and sci-fi to do all of this stuff uh you obviously run into the fact that some of them are going to inevitably be a little bit clumsy unless you take the appropriate amount of time to to work them out and so like i i do really agree with you about um you know i i think planet of the Ood's heart is in the right place with this stuff um mm. but that doesn't change the fact that the end result doesn't give enough time to the sort of the um like the source inspirations i guess of, of the text um and look keith temple is like I, I do think this episode is pretty well written as a piece of sci-fi um mm. as a a message and a metaphor about slavery you know it's a white dude writing it we're two white dudes sitting here now talking about it like there are inherent limitations to these things um and yeah, I, I agree. Like, there's just no, like, clean, cut, simple answer to that one. It's just... No. Yeah, this is this is a thing. It's like we said at the top, like, it's not about it being a good or a bad episode. It's just Planet of the Ood is, like, a really interesting episode for all of this. Well, it, it's it's made a lot of conversation topics for the two of us, that's for sure. Um, and you could also argue that maybe even this episode isn't necessarily about slavery and more just about, like, cattle farming. Uh, there are def- many different interpretations yeah there are and there aren't i don't know no like i i know i get what you're saying because like there are it does often use the imagery of of cattle farming in in the episode as well and that is because they're dealing with aliens and they sort of like you know there's one instance that really stuck in my brain as just a truly horrendous choice um the that same security guard that i mentioned earlier that tries to do the little catch claw game with the doctor when he's running away um is overseeing some ood being transported from a building to another building and he's literally standing above them cracking a whip um and he is played by a black man um and it is just it's so tone deaf and clumsy um and i I think it is a continuing sort of byproduct of this era of the show's relationship with race which is you know we've talked about a lot with martha but like there are just some times where you wonder about the insular nature of the of the production here and if you know a different set of eyes and the same with the script at large like if maybe a different perspective in the creative team could have lent this episode um a little bit of room to maneuver around those kind of mistakes yeah definitely um i I gotta say i found that security guard character like not my favorite (laughs) i felt like he was just like a bit too sadistic to be believable but then also we are operating in the world of uh i was gonna say symbolism metaphor i guess uh with this episode it's sci-fi yeah and I mean, they are literally enslaving Ood. And so like a cartoonishly sadistic guard, it tracks. Yeah. Um, but again, and again, the fact that I just ha- like use the term slavish, like, uh, you know, enslaving and then cartoonish in the same sentence is maybe an issue with this episode at large, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because it is Doctor Who at the end of the day, and it can't fully show the horrors of slavery. Although it comes pretty closer than any episode has done to 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 getting that point across it 
does. The I think we're both thinking of the same scene here where um, when they first arrive, the doctor says to Donna, he's like, oh, you know, can you hear that? It's like, I can hear singing or something. And yeah, I think it's I know, maybe threaded throughout the rest of the episode that he can kind of hear this song coming from somewhere. And eventually they discover the source of it, which is this uh, in the basement somewhere, there is a, a, a prison cell with, um, what's the term they use for them? Like unprocessed? Yeah, oops? something like that. Um, it, that there's not really yeah, a term. It's, term. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, it was it was a thing. Like, um, they're they're down there, and uh, as we said in the episode description, like Uda naturally born with a exterior brain that they hold in their hands, and they're all, it's these Ood, and they're all huddled up together with you know this brain extension. This is the first time we've seen this as well, um, and they're all psychically singing to each other, which is like a nice little hint at the fact that like hey, there's a fuckload more going on with the Ood than than we quite realize here. Um, and the Doctor and Donna find them down there, and you know. He's like, you know, can't you hear their song? Like, it's a, it's a song of captivity. And she's like, I can't. And so he does the whole, like, Time Lord, open your mind kind of thing and lets her hear it. And it is just a phenomenal character beat for the two of them. Mm. Um, as I'm saying that, I again loop back to your argument, though, that, like, in a scene about Ood in captivity, it becomes a moment for the visiting race. You know, it's... um. <laughs> there is that precarious balance going on there. But I think that if you sort of, if you just take it at face value for what it is in the episode of Doctor Who for the Doctor and for Donna, it's it's just another really beautiful moment of the two of them being very much on the same page with their empathy, uh, which is a nice contrast to Fires of Pompeii where they weren't. Uh, absolutely. And it's also just, um, uh, it, it's a great scene and at a great, I don't you just realize this now when you're describing it, a, another way of just setting up the doc, the Dr. Donna, essentially this episode is a big, mm. uh, part of that ongoing, uh, establishment of that, uh, figure, which we'll get to in the finale. Um, and I, yeah, like the doctor opening his mind up to Donna and letting her in, so she can hear this voice and to hear what he hears. Yeah. I just mm. am now seeing what that scene is doing. Um, yeah. Cause she's like, you know, you hear this all the time and it's like, yeah, like she's getting a better understanding of what it means to have the weight of being a time Lord. Um, and that is really great foreshadowing for what's to come. Especially <laughs> because she says that, you know, she can't bear it and that she just wants to go home. Um, yeah. Which is a great, a great scene. Um, if we're on, if we're talking about the writing of this episode, it should be noted that like, well, I haven't done any notes this week. All I've done is take excerpts of the script and put them down into our little planning document, because I do think for my quibbles about the episode, it is a exceptionally written script. Uh, and there are yeah. like, so many passages of dialogue that I, I, I read back and just kind of savor for just how good they are. Um, and so many moments as well that set up, that set up this story up. The one that comes to mind for me is, uh, the way in which Donna meets the Ood for the first time. Uh, I like how in sort of the same vein as with Rose, when she encounters all the aliens on platform one and she gets quite overwhelmed and has to leave the room. Uh, Donna's first reaction when she sees an Ood is like, Oh, what the fuck is that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's the doctor who has to be like, don't, not now. It's like, it's a heat, not near. Funny the doctor supposes his gender, but that's another story. <laughs> um, uh, 
Yeah, agreed. And another like small moment that I really enjoy in that that little story beat that happens is um, again a testament to the way Donna works as a companion, in that she switches so effortlessly from like oh, I'm, I'm Donna from Essex and oh that's a gross alien to being like oh shit no someone's like someone's in pain um, yep. and somebody needs my help uh, and she does instantly shift into that like empathy mode and it's just Donna's capacity for empathy is like just across these three episodes that we've seen her in so far this season is so quickly my favorite character trait about her oh absolutely she is such a she wears her emotions on her sleeve and it's something someone i don't remember who pointed this out to me it might have even been you uh but she shares that (laughs) trait with uh with clara in the way that like she has cried uh pretty much Mm. like every episode so far but she's not a weak person she isn't a weak character she's a strong character and she shows yeah. her emotions without fear or without a uh, kind of f- uh, fear of, of being rebuked or seen as lesser. You know, she's just wholeheartedly herself. And that's so nice to watch. I completely agree. Um, I didn't bring that up to you, but that does sound like something I would say, because like now I can't help but think about that amazing shot of her in uh, at the end of the fires of Pompeii, which is like, just save someone. And yeah. she's just openly crying to him. Um, and looking at that face, I'm like, yeah, that's like, that's Clara as well. Like that is very much how those companions operate. It is a, a bold admittance of the fact that I am currently feeling too much. Um, and it's, and it's just good. It's, it's so good. Oh, I love Clara. I love Donna. This is all good. <laughs> I knew I knew you'd appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> any any chance we can talk about Clara? I don't think I've done it for the past couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it is a really good script, and it, there are so many good moments uh, and so many good exchanges of dialogue. The other one that comes to mind is um, the. I think people often quote this one, but it's when um, the Doctor and Donna find the Ood in this in the containers and and. He's like a. He says something about it being, a, um, not different from like Donna's time, and she's like, "Oh, I haven't got any slaves." And he says, "Who do you think made your clothes?" Now, if this were Rose mm. or Martha, they might take that as a moment to be like, "Yeah, so true, Doctor. Actually, um, wow, I didn't think about it that way." <laughs> um, but Donna's like, you know, fuck you, don't take the, a cheap shot. I, that me, like, you know, I, I, it's not my fault. Slavery isn't my fault. Um. Mm. I I think that that line really opens up interpretation and opens up the 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 well of uh, of discussion you can have about the this episode below it um, because even if it is quite like as we said at the top of this episode uh, quite obvious in its messaging and its theme um, that topic is still so nuanced and so. Uh, ongoing for god's sake <laughs> like uh yeah I, I completely agree like the the degree to which we are complicit in the fact that so much of our lives is built off the back of others um which is something that like it's one of those things that i remember like specifically trying to grapple with back when i was you know 20 and getting high on an oval somewhere do you know what i mean like trying <laughs> to be like oh well man the world is so fucking weird and like yeah like it truly is i think that is the kind of discussion that you do have in those confronting uh sort of uh removed from your everyday thinking uh kind of moments because it's just so much to think about it, it is overwhelming to think about the fact that like the phone that i'm currently staring at or like the the cheap kmart jumper that i'm currently wearing 
weren't given to me through great methods, you know, mm. um, and me and, you know, us ourselves in turn being of a working class that will never see anywhere near enough money to impact any sort of change on that system. Um, and so that cog just keeps fucking turning. And that is much, much deeper than Planet of the Ood ever intends to go with that line of dialogue. Um, but I do like the, just the subtle jab in the side that it gives the audience to be like, oi, by the way. Um, and then I do like that Donna is also there to be like, hey, but also like, fuck you, I'm trying my best. Um, well, y- yeah, yeah, because like, she is trying her best and she is also like, like I said before, not complicit or she's complicit, but she's not solely responsible for that, for humanity, you know, like I think the doctor puts his companions up on a pedestal definitely to be like the best of humanity, but also like to judge them by them as well. Um, And it's the same thing with the guns thing. Oh, it's totally the same thing with the guns thing. And like Donna's not here for it. She's not going to take that shit. Um, And it's, 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 what am I trying to say? In an episode that is definitely about capitalism as well, it's very welcome to make that, uh, to invite that kind of thought in to this episode because, you know, mm. Donna is, for argument's sake, a low, like, she's part of the masses. <laughs> but Mr. Halpin, yeah. he's the target. He's the one that you should be thinking of. Like, he's the perpetrator of those same ills the doctor's railing against and uh i just think as a character he's quite well uh, executed in this episode uh i agree i i think that the performance sometimes veers a little bit again too close to cartoonish but i think mm. the way the script writes him is so he's so matter of fact he's just kind of like like uh, there's that really great moment where him and that lead scientist are having a conversation about oh warehouse 18 or wherever the, the big hive brain is being stored and they're like oh have you heard any word from warehouse 18 no nothing for however long and he's like all right well we got to go there come on like it's just it's not a oh we've got to go and see the big spooky brain that we've got chained up in the basement so that we can control this race he's just like no this is just part of my job mm. i'm wearing a suit i'm taking my hair tonic and i'm here to do my job as the boss and it's so insidious in a subtle way um, totally. and for an episode that doesn't do subtlety all that much I, I think that was a really good beat you know i think they do i think i think you're right i think they do veer just slightly into the cartoonish villain side of him um but on the whole he is a man that is concerned solely with profit uh and who just is there to do his job um you know he it, the fact that like he get he's the man that they call in when things go wrong uh, and he's like, this is just another day in the office for him um, before it descends into total anarchy um, is a great, it, it's the only way you could do that kind of character because otherwise, yeah. you know, you, you do go into the classic who I'm going to exploit these people for money and blah, kind of. And how will you do that without a third brain? <laughs> exactly. Oh, fuck. I forgot about him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't. Isn't 
that another Graham Harper joint? It is another Graham Harper joint. <laughs> Great term. Bringing it full circle. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I I do agree. Another um, really good example of the script being um, fun and subversive and, and good with all of this capitalism stuff is the PR woman mm. who is essentially leading the um, the uh, event that the Doctor and Donna infiltrate. Um, and, you know, initially she is... And again, I think a byproduct of Russell T. Davies' time on the show is that women are often soft is not the word I'm looking for, but um, a bit more matriarchal or, mm. or prone to that caring role, right? And so we're introduced to this woman. She's not shown to be doing anything explicitly evil. She's just working in marketing. You get the impression, hey, she might just be a, a smaller cog in a much worse, bigger machine, right? Um, and so you get some really good stuff where she's doing like a, a marketing demo of new Ood voices with a uh, a Simpsons joke that you don't think has aged well, but I think is pretty great. <laughs> Oh, I just, it, I hate these, like, of-the-time references in Doctor Who because it's, it doesn't, it, it places it in a very specific point and doesn't, it's, it doesn't age well, or at least I don't think it will age well, but there's a joke where they go through the different Ood voices and, and one of them's the normal Ood voice and then one of them is, like, a sexy woman. I don't know why anyone would want that, but moving on. <laughs> uh, and then the third one is, like, and a comedy option, Ood, you dropped something. Do <laughs> it just, it, yeah, I don't know. It just oh, it's so silly. I love it. It is silly, and it is fun. Like we're laughing here, but um, may will I be laughing in twenty years' yeah, time? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Um, so like you get those really good scenes with her, and then when sort of shit starts to hit the fan a little bit, uh, the doctor almost instinctively in the way that this mm. doctor would, he ends up saving her from, from a situation. Um, and so she starts running away with, um, the doctor and with Donna and, you know, they finally get a chance to catch their breath and whatnot. And he's like, Hey, Hey, you like, you know, you don't want to be a part of this. You can help stop all of this, you know, just help us do the right thing kind of thing. And she takes a beat and then she's like, they're over here. And she starts screaming for the guards and you're like, Oh shit. Okay. You, you're doubling down. Like you, you are actively now choosing the wrong path in life mm. or, you know, the evil path or quote unquote within the context of Dr. Who and whatnot. And I thought that was like really fun and exciting. And then there's another instance even further on in the script when it's really gone to shit and the Uda rampaging everywhere and the guards are finally out using lethal force and whatnot. And she's trying to escape from the entire thing. And she sees a bunch of Ood coming for it, calls the guards over and she's like, shoot to kill and sprints off. Like she does not give a fuck. Mm. And I find her to be a really refreshing little side character. And again, the fact that like the script is pretty intent on just quadrupling down on the fact that you know humanity is not all that great in this story uh and i thought that was just a really smart play on the expectations we have of women in this uh, era of the show um and just a reinforcement of the themes oh totally i think it's really really fascinating that we get two very small instances where expectations of how these characters would play out in a russell t episode are not met we have solana using the example you just did we have the scientist guy who turns out to be like an activist, you know, like it's, um, <laughs> it's not how this, how they would normally, these roles would normally go in a Russell script. Um, not, this isn't a Russell script, obviously, but it's a Russell era. Um, and I think it's really, yeah. really cool and really interesting when you think about it in relation to the, the big kind of like 
subverting expectations episode of this season, which is midnight. Um, and oh, yeah, oh, midnight. And how like Russell's like a vision of humanity in this season has changed as as or he's giving into like I think that natural impulse to go for the humanity is is is. <laughs> Is a bit shit at its core. <laughs> for the cynicism, for the darkness. Yeah. Totally. Um, it's refreshing. It's also refreshing because this is, on the surface, a very light, airy season because the Doctor and Donna are so good together, because the stories are so fun. But there is yeah. this bubbling kind of darkness underneath everything that's so cool to watch. Mm-hmm. Completely agreed. Um, speaking of things that are good... Um, the direction this week is quite <laughs> fantastic. Sorry. Um, that was a really good transition. But no, it is. I think it's yeah. a, a, the same with Pfizer Pompeii. It looks, this week looks stunning. Uh, like we mentioned before, there's the massive alien vista of the ice planet. Um, I think Graham Harper's direction is pretty good, especially when it gets to those like final scenes where the Ood are breaking out and the, everything just like is falling apart. Uh, he does, he does do that um, manic kind of activity quite well, and it helps with the um, the flurry of snow everywhere that just like adds that activity on the sc- mm. on the screen. I think he's a very smart director, uh, can be a very smart director. Um, I also quite like the score. I think like this the Murray Gold does a nice, like it's almost like a video game score, like something out of like Resident Evil or something. Uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean, because it is, again, it's playing with those, like, oh, guys with automatic weapons are taking out feral aliens in a, like, metal corridor alien base. Like, it's it should, by all means, be that action story. And, like, I love that it's not, and the, sto- the score just kind of organically flows with that. And I think Harper's Direction does the same thing, where you've got those instances that are outside with big explosions going off, there's chaos everywhere, snow is, like, flying up in front of the camera, it's all beautiful and whatnot. But then, you know, at the same time cleverly flips the script and you've got like beautiful moments like the doctor with the unprocessed ood where like everyone's kind of like they're both on different sides of a cage and it's all done in close-ups um and it's so intimate in that way as well um and the fact that this episode can strike the balance between those two things is um very impressive yeah it it yeah I guess it just it just knows what it's doing. It's a confident... The same thing that we said about last week, about Fires Pompeii. Yeah. It's just a confident production, and it's so nice to see this era hitting its stride. Uh, maybe too late, too little too late, but, you know, it's, it's good to see it no matter what. <laughs> uh, yeah, I... I agree. Um, it's see, season four is going to be an interesting ride because from memory, the next two parter that we're dealing with isn't confident. Um, and so to go from these two episodes, which we, you and I are obviously, even if we're not all that high on sometimes are deeply fascinated by. Mm. Um, I just know that we are heading into some very different uh, territory next week with the Santarans. So <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. I, I think, um, even if we don't think it's like a mind-bendingly good episode, I think it's probably still going to like be up there and look really good. You know. Yes, I do remember it looking good. That's so. True. Yeah, because that's the thing I have to keep remembering is like this is like this is the season. This is like like we said with, with Voyage of the Dam. This is the peak who popularity, and it was at its like most resourced as well at this time. 
Yes. Yeah, she got that BBC money. She's uh, she's doing all right. She's doing all right. And it shows. Um, did you have any and other thoughts does. about fires? Nope. Planet of the Ood. Nope. Uh, no, no, not really. I, I think that uh, we, we've pretty much covered it. Um, what about you? I do have like a, just a few like small points. Um, my first being that like I should have mentioned this earlier in the in the episode, but I quite like the scene where uh, Halpern is because he has this Ood servant, I guess, uh, called Ood Sigma, um, who for some who doesn't change the episode, and it turns out that it's because the the patience of the Ood consciousness was being directed on them so they could carry out this plan, which is to turn Ood, uh, Halpin into an Ood by the end of the episode. Um, yeah. And <laughs> which we should also probably just touch on very briefly. Um, but there's this scene where they're in the middle of this, the anarchy, and Al Halpin turns to the Ood and he's like, um, you've not turned, you're faithful, aren't you? Like, go and join your people while you still can. And then they, like, kind of bow to each other. And I just find this so... It's, f- it's odd. It's odd, but I find it so fascinating in the way... In the in that same way that, it like, it's dealing with, like, colonial themes. And you get that, like, servant and master kind of relationship where, like, the master thinks that they're, like, doing the servant of mercy. Like, even though they're being yeah. horribly yeah. racist by, like, go join your people kind of stuff. Uh, even though, yeah. like... You know, they, this has been this Ood has been enslaved by this man for however many years. I just I think it adds to the ongoing like that portion of the episode beautifully, and I think it's a, like it's something I missed the first time around, but like picked up on the second time and like really appreciated. Uh, and then obviously there is the Ood transformation scene. Oh boy, um, that scene is. It's disgusting. Like, it is um, shockingly visceral for a... Do you remember um, when we did... Uh, um, oh, are you my mummy? Uh, yes, two-parter. I was just thinking I, that. I, I, I can never remember the names of these episodes, but you know what I'm always talking about. <laughs> yeah. um, and we, we talked to you guys about the fact that, you know, in that scene that where the Doctor's face transforms into uh, a gas mask, and it was one of those things where you're watching it like, how did this get past the BBC? How is this okay for a family-friendly show? Um, Halpin turning into an ood is another one of those moments. Uh, so it's been established throughout the episode that he's drinking this tonic constantly that um, Sigma, is it? Yeah. Yeah. That Sigma has been giving him for hair loss, basically. And so he keeps looking at his hair, he keeps like playing with his hair, trying to be like, oh, is it growing back? Is it growing back? And so towards the end, you know, he starts getting these headaches and whatnot. And then when he's standing next to the con- the big brain, uh, the, the tonic, which is revealed to be, I don't know, some, some kind of wibbly wobbly sci-fi whatever it doesn't really matter too much um the point is it is being used to transform him internally into an ood and so he starts like clawing at his head and at first like the hair kind of comes off in some clumps and then he pulls his scalp to the side and an ood head begins to emerge through it and at first and look if it was just that it would still be horrifying but then he starts choking and we see from uh, this weird up close side shot, he opens his mouth and out of it, all the Ood tentacles fall. And then he, you know, rips off his face skin and he's an Ood underneath there. And it is just so visceral. It's really gross, isn't it? And it's so odd to see a practical effect of the, like the peeling skin mm. back as opposed to like a, like with the empty child where it's a CGI kind of 
transformation. Mm. Um, even if that was gross and you get the bone cracking and all that kind of stuff, like it was fake. This is obviously yeah. even more fake by being practical, but it's just got that added real kind of element to it with like the that sticky... element to it that just turns your stomach. Yeah, yeah. The, the sticky bits underneath as it like as he peels the skin away, and oh. uh, that gets me more than the ood tentacles. I think uh, that's very fair. That's very fair. And then that weird kind of like uh, blank kind of blinking stare he does afterwards, where he's touching his face because he doesn't oh. quite understand what's happened to him. It is just horrific to be, and it's absolutely what he deserves don't get me wrong <laughs> yeah totally it's a very um poetic kind of ending for him uh and like punctuated by him like vomiting up the brain and then holding it in his hands <laughs> oh yeah oh god um see that's what i mean folks planet of the ood is just so confidently weird and and interesting yeah. and it's just for all of its flaws it is still a, a fascinating fun episode of doctor Who. and the Uda too you know i think that they are just enduringly good um and i like how we end the episode with them like reclaiming their society and the doctors like the Uda coming home and, and then the ood's like i think your song must end soon and everyone was like "Ooh, what's that about well <laughs> I remember reading at the time a, th- yeah, that- a theory that, like, oh, that someone was like, oh, the Ood song is about crying and suffering for those that you want. So if his song's ending, that means that Rose is coming back. And I was like, oh, they're not uh, going to fall in okay. love. <laughs> well, I mean, they are, but in a very roundabout <laughs> way. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, yeah, that, my only gripe with that ending is sort of something we touched on at the top of the show to kind of bring us home here is that, you know, the Ood are like, oh, we will sing of you to generations of our children, the Doctor and Donna. And it's like, they didn't do anything. Like, come on. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. Like, the, the Doctor and Donna didn't do a thing. Uh, if anything, they should be singing songs of the scientist whose name I can't remember. Exactly. The the, sci- the nameless scientist and Ud Sigma are, are who we should be singing songs about. Um, but I I digress. How, what are you what are you giving Planet of the Ud? Look, I think for all the uh, things that I've said about this episode, it's still definitely an A, probably an A minus for me. Um, but you know, still way up there. Yeah, I agree. I think A- minus is exactly where this one lands. Perfect. Hey, we're aligned. Uh, Indeed we are. Uh, As always, thank you so much for listening every week. Uh, If you would like, it would be really great if you could drop us a review on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to the show because it helps us grow and it just makes us feel good about ourselves. Uh, If you'd like to reach out and have your thoughts or feelings read on the show, you can do so by emailing us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com. That's two, the word two. Or you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at twoheartspod, the number two. I've been James and you can find me on Twitter at OMG More James. And I've been Callum, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Theatricallum. Next, uh, next, we'll be back in two weeks' time to talk about Sontaran Stratagem and the Poison Sky. Um, but until then, stay relatively breezy. When I call you, you better come running, yeah? Oh, Martha's oh. back. <laughs> Martha's back. Take it easy, folks. Keep safe, be kind, and we'll see you in two weeks' time. (laughs) Bye. Bye.